Well, good morning. It's a delight to see you and uh, to join you in bringing in 2022 together in worship and putting our focus on the Lord and His faithfulness. It all began 30 years ago with a man named John Baker who had struggled with alcohol. Earlier in his life, it had been what he considered his solution to his great insecurity. Back in high school days, he had been a popular student. Uh, he had done well in academics and also in sports. But he had this, this constant nagging sense of insecurity that just ate at him relentlessly. This sense of not being enough, just not being enough. Then in college, he discovered alcohol and the edge that it seemed to give him. And now uh, the party never started until he arrived and it was never over until he left. And life was good, or so it seemed. But that which had been the solution to one problem became another and much greater problem all of its own as the drinking continued. John met a lovely girl in college named Cheryl and the two of them married. They had two children. John did really well in business. And so from the outside looking in, all seemed to be good. But from the inside, there was nothing about it that was really working. In fact, John's life was coming apart, as was his marriage. And, and the continuation of the drinking and the issues that kept coming into their lives as a result very nearly destroyed the marriage and nearly cost him his family. He would have done all of that had he not finally gotten into a recovery program. All of that got him started thinking. What if there were another kind of recovery program? Not one that was just sort of religious, which is what he had experienced up to that point, but a recovery program that would be centered in Christ. What would that look like? John shared those thoughts with the pastor of the church that he and family had begun attending, a church called Saddleback, a pastor named Rick Warren. And out of those conversations, there emerged what came to be called Celebrate Recovery. And from that time to this, CR has had an enormous impact on the lives of countless numbers of men and women literally all over the world. Some of you in this room, uh, others who are at our other campuses this morning, uh, many of you who are watching online, and I myself have been through CR and have had the benefit that this unique experience offers. And now we're just on the edge of being able to launch Celebrate Recovery here at Battle Creek. In fact, a week from this Tuesday, we launch. And there's been, yeah, that's right. January 11th, we launch. And there's been an enormous amount of preparation for this and lots of groundwork, lots of prayer. 
And uh, we're, we're ready to see the opportunity extended to so many others. And you can learn more about that by going uh, to the uh, church website, which is battlecreekchurch.com forward slash freedom. battlecreekchurch.com forward slash freedom. And uh, you can get information about uh, what's going to be happening and how it's all going to be uh, playing out. But go there for questions that you may have. And uh, this morning, we're beginning a series on recovery and freedom. And we're taking the, the word recovery and using that to uh, help us think through the the basic concepts of Celebrate Recovery, or CR. We're using the eight letters of the word recovery to unpack the eight core principles of CR. And we're going to begin this morning with the first letter, the R, which is for realize. Realize. And the, the very first principle of Celebrate Recovery confronts us with the most basic fact of all, and that is to realize I'm not God. That's where we start, realizing I'm not God. And uh, you might say this morning, well, that's really not a problem for me. I've never thought of myself as God. It's never occurred to me at all that I might be God. I, I get that. And really, there are few people ever so delusional that they might begin to entertain the idea that they are God. That would be extremely delusional for sure. And I have never had anyone in a counseling session say to me, you know, I think I might be God. I, that's never happened. I've heard lots of things in counseling sessions, but never that. What I do see though, and not just in counseling sessions, but in the lives of all of us and mine included, is this tendency to depend on ourselves instead of God, rather than God, in place of God. We'd never say anything as off the rails as, I, I think I'm God. But we just lean into this, this way of thinking that, that we can handle things on our own. It can sound like this. Yeah, I've got this habit, and it's probably not a good thing, not a healthy thing, but it's no big deal. I can handle it. Or, uh, hey, I've, I've got things under control. You don't need to be concerned about this. Uh, I can quit any time. I've got it under control. Or, don't try to tell me what to do. I can handle things on my own. I'm fine. Don't tell me what to do. What is that? Seriously, what is that? It's this tendency in all of us to, to want to handle things on our own. And we can see it so clearly in others, can't we? You can see it in people that you know. You can see it in friends. Uh, you see it in colleagues at work. You see it in family members, where we have difficulty realizing this is happening is when we look in the mirror. But the person in the mirror has the same tendency to want to do things on our own. For example, 
a husband and wife are driving, and the husband keeps driving, even though they are not finding where they're supposed to have arrived already. It's been 15 minutes past where they should have been where they're going, and there's no sign of that place arriving or appearing yet. And his wife gently suggests that they stop and get help. Why does he keep driving? What is that? Well, what is there about even her gentle suggestion that they stop and get help that seems to sort of galvanize his determination not to stop? What is that? Is it just stubbornness? Some of that for sure. But it's deeper than that. It's this deep-seated insistence upon doing it on our own. And let me just pause here and say to husbands in the room and watching, it's not recommended that you keep driving. Uh, also to wives, may I just also make a note, it is good if you are gentle in the suggestion. Just be gentle. But guys, it's better to stop. It, it really is. I have some experience with this. I'm just saying, it just, it's just better to stop. But we want to handle it on our own. That's what was happening all the way back at the beginning. Adam and Eve found themselves in an absolutely perfect paradise, pristine perfection. And everything in the garden was theirs to enjoy with one small limitation, just one exception, one tree of which they were not to eat. And the liar appears on the scene who poses in the role of a friend with friendly advice. And the lie that Adam and Eve heard was that God was keeping something from them. That God wasn't really for them. God was holding out on them. God was keeping something from them. And that they should go ahead and just eat of whatever they wished. And that tree included. And the assurance was given, you won't die. God knows you're going to become God's. You're not going to die. You're going to become gods, and then you won't need him. It's so alluring, so enticing, so charming. It was all a lie. Everything about it was a lie. But the, the appeal was that they could just, just depend on themselves in place of God, and all would be well. That same lie continues to be the enemy's mode of operation. Just depend on yourself. You call the shots. Do it your way. All will be well. It's the lie that we can run the engine of our lives on the fuel of self-reliance and all will be well. Just do it your way. So appealing. And the world around us constantly encourages that same mentality. The more a person tries to make his life work that way, the greater the frustration, the sense of futility, the inward emptiness that just gnaws at us. That was the John Baker story. 
trying to make life work that way. And, and life wasn't working. Even though at age 30, he had reached every goal he had ever set for his entire life in terms of financial success and career success. He had already, at age 30, reached all the goals. But his life wasn't working. In fact, his life was spinning out of control. Maybe. Maybe that's sort of what you're feeling. It seems like your life is sort of spinning out of control. You've done everything you know to do. Things just keep getting worse. Could it be a matter of misplaced reliance? Somehow along the way, instead of depending on God to be God, you found yourself depending on yourself instead of God, relying on self in place of God. Consider something Jesus said. In the Sermon on the Mount, in fact, these are his very first words in that most famous of all sermons. When he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. The disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. If, you're, if you've been in church a long time, grew up in church maybe, those are familiar words. You may not know for sure what they mean. You may have wondered, what does that really mean? If you're new in church, you may think, why could anyone say that? How could anyone say that there's something blessed about being poor, because when we think about poor, we think about being without, not having enough, uh, too much month at the end of the money, being destitute, barely surviving, none of which sounds like any kind of blessing. So what we have to recognize is that Jesus is speaking about a different kind of poor, not poor financially, but what? Poor in spirit. Poor in spirit, which really is a realization of inadequacy. A realization that in and of myself, I really am not enough. There's an inadequacy in me that I have to acknowledge if I'm being honest with myself. Not only inadequacy, but we would add insufficiency and not being enough. Just not being enough on my own. Not enough on my own to operate independently and to do my own thing and call the shots my own way. A realization. Jesus is saying, blessed are the poor in spirit who, who realize the truth. This, of course, was where John Baker was, feeling that his life was not enough. It wasn't just a matter of not having enough. It's, it's, it's not being enough. 
John's problem was that he tried to fix the feeling by resorting to that which wound up taking him captive. It wound up entrapping him. It wound up very nearly destroying everything that he valued. Jesus invites us to something very different. He invites us to realize our need to honestly acknowledge our our inadequacy on our own. But instead of self-reliance or self-medicating, we let our need drive us to him. The only one who can really meet our need. That's why Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Or we could say it this way, blessed are those who realize how great their need is inwardly. How great the need really is. Blessed are they. Blessed. That word blessed is, is the Greek word makarios. Makarios, which essentially means great happiness. Jesus is talking about great happiness. Great happiness. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Great happiness is theirs. It's really a a congratulatory term. It could be said this way, congratulations. Congratulations. You who recognize the need. Oh, the great happiness that is yours. Happiness, happiness. Not a transient kind of happiness like so much of what we see around us, the kind that's here today and gone tomorrow. Not that. Uh, There's an Old Testament prophet named Jonah who had an experience with a great fish. But following that, he had an experience with a vine. And uh, he was was just sweltering in the mid-eastern heat. The sun was just beating down on him. And and, uh, God provided a vine. Jonah tells us about it. God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was, notice this, very happy. He was very happy about the vine. But the text goes on to tell us that the next day, a worm chewed the vine and the vine withered. And Jonah suddenly was being baked by the sun again because the vine had withered. And he goes from being very happy one day to literally the very next day wanting to die. Suicidal ideation from one day to the next. All because of a worm. There cannot be much to the kind of happiness that can be dissolved so quickly and just disappear. But such is the happiness that's so much of, of what the world tries to sell us. Think about the person who buys a brand new car. He's ordered it special. He's he's got the dealer to get everything he wanted on his model, all the features he desired. The car arrives. Uh, He goes to pick it up. It has that wonderful aroma of a new car interior. The, The outside is just gleaming in the paint job. And he's so happy with his new job, his new car. Maybe new job too, but new car. He drives his car to work, parks as far as he can at the very last parking space, as far as he can park away from his office, and goes to work. 
At noon, he comes out just to look at his car, just to admire his car. And to his dismay, there's a door ding on the driver's door. Someone has parked right beside him and opened their door. And, is, and it's, not a, it's not a big thing. It's just a little tiny door ding. It's almost invisible, but it's all he can see. And his happiness over his new car does what? It's just gone. What was his four hours before is now totally dissolved. It's, it's just gone. Can't be much to a happiness that can disappear that easily. What Jesus is talking about is something very, very different. Just like it's a different kind of poor, not financially poor, but realizing the, the enormity of our need inwardly. It's a different kind of happy as well. Not a superficial thing that depends on what's happening or not happening, who does something or doesn't do something. It's, it's something much deeper than that. It's something resilient, something that is impervious to the circumstances of life that, that are crowding around us. It's, it's kingdom of heaven kind of happiness that Jesus is talking about. Congratulations, congratulations, Jesus is saying. Congratulations, every one of you who realizes the enormity of your need. Congratulations. When you recognize what is true and you realize the enormity of the need, a need that is so great that only God can meet it. Congratulations. When you've come to that realization. Or to say it another way, how great the happiness that comes when, instead of relying on ourselves, we admit our need for God. How great the happiness that comes. It is really the portal to kingdom of heaven kind of happiness. Not just someday, not just eventually in heaven, but already now. Blessed are those who realize the enormity of their need. How great the happiness. Congratulations. Because of the happiness that is yours to experience here and now, here on earth, as well as one day. What we're really talking about is how a person becomes a Christian. It's the realization that my life isn't working and I need a Savior. And there's only one. There's only one. His name is Jesus. We spent those weeks leading up to Christmas focused on the name Jesus and all that that name means. It literally means the Lord saves. When you say the name Jesus, you're actually saying the Lord saves. That's what his name means. But he's also called Wonderful Counselor. That's who he is. Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. God came into our ranks, into flesh and blood. He came to dwell among us. Jesus is mighty God. He is everlasting Father. He is Prince of Peace. He is Emmanuel, God with us. That's who he is. And in the moment that we let our need drive us to Jesus and place our trust in him, something happens that we could never do for ourselves. It's called salvation. And everything about salvation happens by the grace of God. 
Paul writing to the Ephesians says it this way, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, this what? The grace as well really as the faith through which we receive the grace. It's all God's work in us. It's all his gift. This not from yourselves, it's the gift. It's the gift of God, not of works so that no one can boast. There's nothing about salvation that you or I could ever take credit for whatsoever, not one thing. There's nothing we've done to earn it. There's nothing we ever could do to be even deserving of it. The word grace literally means undeserved. It's undeserved. Most of us have a little difficulty with with receiving something that's just totally undeserved, but that's how it is. Grace is totally, completely, start to finish, all things about it, undeserved. By grace, you are saved. And uh, we've done nothing to earn it. Salvation really means depending entirely on God and his perfect and complete provision for us through Jesus. It's perfect. It's complete. There's nothing lacking. There's nothing that we have to uh, achieve to be able to receive. It, it, it is his perfect and complete gift. Everything about it. Gift not only of heaven one day, but empowering for living here and now this life on the planet earth. It's, it's all about the gift and all ours in Jesus. In his letter to the Christians living in Colossae, Paul said this, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What mystery, Paul? What mystery are you talking about? It's here. He tells us what the mystery is. This is the mystery. Christ in you. Christ in you. The confident assurance of heaven one day. Used to, I would read that verse in Colossians, and and I would see those words, hope of glory. And I would just interpret that as reference to heaven, the glory of heaven. And having Christ come to live in us means we have that confident assurance of heaven one day. But as wonderful as heaven is and will be, I've come to realize there's more to what Paul was saying when he speaks of this mystery, this hope of glory. It's not just the confident assurance of heaven one day, but also the confident anticipation of a glorious adventure on the way, on the way to heaven. The glory is more than just coming one day when we enter into the wonder of heaven. It's a glorious adventure to have the living Christ, the one who walked out of that grave, the one who spoke creation into existence in the first place, this same Jesus coming to live in us, to reside in us. That's what it means to be a Christian. He is Emmanuel, God with us, literally coming to live in us, to reside within us, to live his life 
in us. What, what else could it be but a glorious adventure? Well, honestly, what else could that be? Which is exactly what Paul is describing. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the truth is, it's not just heaven one day, but the power for living day to day here and now that you and I could never accomplish on our own. Could never achieve it. No amount of effort, no amount of New Year's resolutions, no amount of trying harder. Jesus came to give us what we could never achieve. He said in another instance in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 10, he, he speaks of two different agendas. They're, they're polar opposite agendas. One is the agenda of the thief, which is, of course, Satan. The, the thief comes, Jesus said, only to steal and kill and destroy. That's his agenda. That's his, his one mode of operation. It is to steal, kill, and destroy. But there's a different agenda. The very opposite Jesus' agenda was this. I came, he said, that they might have life and that they might have it to the full. He came that we might have life and not just a little bit of life, but life to the full. He's describing it as, as something uh, you might take a container of some sort and, and hold it under a, a water faucet and turn the water on and just let the water run and what's going to happen? It's going to fill to the full and then going to spill over all the top of the rim on all sides. It's that picture that Jesus is describing. Life to the full, life that is more than can be contained is really the description of what Jesus says, I came to give. I came that they might have life and have it to the full. It's a life that cannot be contained, nor can we attain by our best efforts on our own. It is never ours. But in Christ, in Christ, it's a very different thing. In another letter Paul wrote, this time to some believers in Galatia, he speaks about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, he says, is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Would you like to have those qualities in your life in this new year that has just begun? Would it be good to have love with which you can love well, you can love others well? Would you like to have that as a characteristic in your life in this new year? Or joy? Regardless of what's happening, a kind of resilient joy down deep inside that isn't washed away by what's happening outwardly. How about peace? Peace, regardless of circumstances. Patience. Would you like to have patience in your life? Would that be on your list of things you'd like to have in 2022? The amazing thing is, that all of this is available, but it's not something that we're going to produce. None of this is something that we attain by trying harder, 
or making resolutions or putting in greater effort. The truth is this, on my best day, I can't produce any of this. On my best day, and my wife can tell you I don't have best days every day, but, but I don't produce any of this. It's called the fruit of the Spirit for a reason. Because it is the Holy Spirit who produces these qualities in us. And really what we're talking about is the very character of Jesus. Think about it. These qualities that are described are the very expressions of the character of Christ. He is the very ultimate of love and joy and peace and patience and all the rest. We don't produce these things. Jesus produces his character in us through the Holy Spirit who's come to indwell our lives. It's his work in us. But it's that kind of life that Jesus intends for us to have. When he talks about life to the full, it's life that that looks like him, full of joy and peace and even patience. I hear people talk about working on patience. Not, not likely you're going to achieve that apart from a dependency on the one who is all of these qualities to the ultimate. So do we have a part in all of this? Yes, we do. Our part is very simple, conscious dependency on God. That's my part. That's your part. Conscious dependency on God to do what I cannot. All my best efforts will not attain what he wants to do in my life and in your life. So my part is conscious dependency on God. The fact is I am dependent. All of us are. I am dependent whether I recognize it and realize it and acknowledge it or not, I'm dependent. I'm dependent for my heart to continue beating. We're dependent for our hearts to keep contracting, beating in our chest. Likewise, we are dependent for what only God can do in our lives in terms of shaping our character into more and more of the likeness of Christ. I don't achieve that. You don't make that happen. It's his work in us as we acknowledge our dependency and we live in conscious awareness that I am dependent and Lord, I want you to have your way in me. See, we were never meant to live on the do the best you can plan. That was never the plan. It was always this, the God I can't, but you can plan. God, I can't, but you can. There's nothing more liberating than this. We're, we're in a series on, on freedom, recovery and freedom. There is nothing more liberating than coming to understand, God, I can't. I can't do any of those things, but you can. Oh, the happiness. The great happiness that is ours when we come to the place of acknowledging this. I can't, but you can. 
in me. You can in me. Our need is to simply come to a place of admitting our need, an admission of need. Back in September, my wife and I uh, made a trip to North Carolina. Her sister and her husband had purchased a mountain cabin in the Smoky Mountains, and uh, it was an investment they, they acquired. And they rented out to people for vacation times and vacation weekends. We had never been there, and so we arranged with them for a time when we could meet them there at their Smoky Mountain retreat. And I asked my brother-in-law uh, to give me the exact location, and, and he did, and I then had AAA route us so I'd have a, a physical map that I could look at to get us to the cabin. And uh, all went well on our trip as long as we were on I-40. I-40, of course, is this superhighway that goes across Arkansas and across Tennessee and right into North Carolina. You don't get off of I-40. It takes you right to the Smoky Mountains. It was wonderful. We had no problem on I-40. But it turns out that a mountain cabin is built on the side of a mountain. And it required getting off of I-40 and now following the map, which was okay for the first two or three turns. And then nothing seemed to match the map. And we were going up this narrow mountain road with little tributaries going off in all kinds of directions with, without any identification. One of those we were supposed to take, and we couldn't figure out which one it was. We couldn't find it. And so I began to have this sinking feeling that I was going to have to do what I did not want to do. I had to find a, a wide enough place off the road to pull over and stop and call my brother-in-law and admit we, we need help. And he began to tell me how to get from where we were to where the cabin was. I said, would you just come get us? I'm, 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 I was done at that point trying to do it on my own. I said, would you just come and get us and lead us to the cabin? And he was kind and gracious and, and agreed to do that. And he arrived soon. And, and we then, when he went left, we went left. When he went right, we went right. And, and from that point forward, we were entirely dependent on him to get us to the cabin. The thing is this. I would have liked to have done all that on my own. But it wasn't going to happen. The fact was, I couldn't get us there. It's that way in life, too. We would like to handle things all on our own. But the fact is, it's not going to cut it. And what really has to happen for all of us is to come to the place where we honestly and simply admit our need. And we come to the Father with that admission. The admission, God, I can't. I can't. But you can. In me. It can sound like this. God, I, <clears throat> I've had this habit. And I thought I could quit but I've tried and I can't. I can't. 
but you can in me. God, I have this hang-up over what happened so long ago, and I've tried to get beyond it, but I can't. I can't, but God, you can in me. God, I have this anger, and it is it's hurting everyone around me, and I don't want to be like this, and I've tried to be different, but I can't. God, you can in me. It's not a matter of trying harder. It isn't. It's not a matter of trying harder to do what you cannot do. It's a matter of admitting that we are powerless on our own and desperately in need and simply coming to the one who can do what we cannot. See, he's God. We're not. Let me pray for us. Would you bow your heads with me? Before I lead us in prayer, maybe you're feeling a lot like John Baker when his life was spinning out of control, coming apart. Whatever the need, whatever the hurt has been in your life, whatever the habit that may have you trapped, whatever the hang-up with which you struggle, your Heavenly Father loves you And he has provided complete and perfect provision for you through Jesus. And today, today can be the turning point for you. If you've never asked Jesus into your life, today can be that day. There's nothing so big or so hard or so broken or so awful that it's too much for him. And no matter how long you've been trapped in that habit or struggled with that hang-up, He's able to set you free. He came to set the captives free. And He's able to do that in your life. And so, if you've never asked Jesus into your life and you realize that's what has to happen, that's the starting point. Would you just pray this prayer with me? You can pray it out loud. Others will be praying out loud around you. Or you can pray it in your heart. The important thing is you're asking Jesus to take over in you. So pray with me. Lord Jesus, I confess I've tried to run life on my own. And it isn't working. I need you to take over. As well as I know how, I turn my back on sin. I ask you, Jesus, to come into my life, be my Savior, my forgiver, and Lord of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. If you prayed that prayer just now, welcome to a brand new life and to the power for living that new life. It's all ours in the gift that's in Jesus. And Father, thank you that it's not a matter of our trying harder to do better. 
but simply acknowledging, God, I can't, but you can in me. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I had a message from Pastor Alex. He asked me to convey to you uh, just a reminder about the fast that we are beginning. It actually begins after your evening meal today and then fasting through this week. And uh, we'll hear more about that in just a moment from Josh. And then we will conclude next Sunday at lunch and you would resume your regular meals. But during this week, a time of prayer and fasting in that pattern. Josh? We say thank you, Pastor Sean.